the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. to change your attitude, change your life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Today's guest, Christine Carlson, says that it's possible to love your life after loss and major change. Christine knows this because she's lived it. In 2006, after building the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff franchise with her husband, Dr. Richard Carlson, Christine's perfect story took a tragic turn when Richard passed away unexpectedly. In a blink, Christine's best friend and life partner was gone. Through that tragedy, she came to understand intimately how our losses are our defining moments, and that how we go through them shapes us. Christine is a New York Times bestselling author, transformational speaker, and guide for people experiencing major life transitions. She's the author of the book, Heartbroken Open, A True Story of Coming Alive Again After Profound Loss. Welcome, Christine. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thank you so much for having me. Christine, I always love when you come on the show because... Your story, it, it's so inspiring because a, a lot of our followers, and, and you know my story as well, a lot of us have experienced different types of loss and pain and tragedy in our lives. And when we get to hear a story like yours, it offers so much hope for all of us. So for those who may not be familiar with your work or who may not have heard you on the show before, you had your life ripped apart by the loss of someone that you love. So Tell us a little bit about Richard and what your relationship was like. Um, you know, I met Richard when I was 18 years old and he was 20. We were in college and we literally had that love at first sight or first meeting fairy tale story. I mean, we just really instantly knew that we were meant to be together and We lived just about 25 years with a lot of incredible moments, a lot of incredible times together, and a a high level of compatibility. So we really were um, best friends and really all relationships to each other, you know, best friends, lovers. um, We were work partners. We were parents. We just, we had a great, a great life. And Midlife, um, I was 43, Richard was 45, um, took a, t- a sudden turn. And it was about 10 years into our his best-selling book, um, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And we were very fully into building the brand of Don't Sweat the Small Stuff at that time. Um, but at the 10th anniversary of Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Richard got on a plane and on the descent of a flight into New York, or he was going to do some media for his latest book, he had a pulmonary embolism on the descent of that flight. And it took his life immediately. And, um, you know, it's just, it's one of those shocking stories that people have. And, you know, I'm no different than anyone else. There's so many people in the world that have had a similar story, you know, and it, it, when you get that phone call that you're un- that's unexpected like that, it, it literally is like having the rug, the floor pulled out from underneath you. The rug is pulled out from under your feet. And I felt like um, that day that I heard the news of his death, um, I felt like I died too. I died with him. And in many ways, 
you know, I've discovered whether you've gone through loss from divorce, from death, it, it feels that way because your life does take a, a different turn. And mine definitely took a different turn the day that he died. How were you able to navigate losing your best friend and all that went with that relationship and now finding yourself a, a single mother trying to figure out what the next move would be? You know, I think um, none of us know how we're going to respond to that kind of news until it happens to us. And something that Richard said often in his work to people was that the circumstances of life don't make or break you, but they rather reveal who you are. And I felt like a lot of the things that Richard had said came back to me as, as little instructions. And I sort of took a lot of these things that he said, um, and I, I, I heard him say them to me, even in my loss. And I just, I think for myself, I am not somebody who's prone to victimhood. And I've always just stood in my circumstances and said, wow, you know, I don't always like what life gives me, but I'm going to make the most out of what's here. And I didn't, you know, initially, of course, I felt that it was unfair that Richard died so young. And initially, of course, I felt very scared. Um, I, of course, had a lot of fear about how I was going to even take a breath without him. But I think I definitely knew that um, it probably wasn't an accident in our soul journey. And I, you know, had lived a very spiritually rich life with Richard. We were early meditators. We'd sat at the feet of many um, gurus at ashrams. We had done a lot of personal development work and dove, had dove into our own psychology at a really young age for different reasons. And I think all of that work really paid great dividends for me and my uh, ability to allow my loss to transform me and change me and awaken me to something better. And I like to say, you know, it's true that there really is two paths. There's a path that will take you to a better life and there's a path that will take you to bitterness. And there isn't a lot of gray space in between for a lot of people. So if you can choose the path that does not make you a victim of your circumstances, but rather allows you to do your grief, to grieve properly, to um, feel your feelings and to keep stepping into life every single day, um, then you'll be on a path to um, a better life at some point. And that's not to say that the path of grief is an easy one. It's not. It's, it's wrought with sorrow and pain and dark corners. And you have to really search out what is light for you, search out your support, um, not isolate yourself in grief. I mean, so many people might think that isolation is the way to go, but it, it actually really um, can be quite harmful to isolate yourself too long in grief. So, yeah. you know, looking for support, looking for light, um, trying to stay inspired and, and just following the breadcrumbs each day of how do you get out of bed? How do you look for what there is in life that's going to keep you looking for more life? And, you know, there's a time of survival. There really is. I, I've been helping a lot of people in grief lately, and I and know not to say too much about being too far down the path too early because there is a time that we are very wounded and very, very um grief stricken and stricken down. And during those times, it's not really that comforting for somebody to think of their future. It's more comforting to just go through where they are in the moment. And if you can hold space for somebody in the moment and allow them to be where they are without trying to fix them, that's oftentimes the most helpful thing you can do for somebody in grief. Yeah. I like when you say we don't sweat the small stuff when we're living the big stuff, because what I've learned to do over the past few years is is when I start to get upset about something or, or feel pain about something, I say to myself, if I were sick or if something really bad happened, would I care about this thing that's upsetting me so much? And I've learned that Smart. most of the things that I get upset about really don't matter. Yeah, that's so true. And that's a great way 
to get your perspective back is is to ask yourself questions like that. That's so healthy, Jen. You and I are, I like to say, on the other side. I mean, you're always going through it's a process, but when you do come out on the other side, you see those moments where you could have gone in that one direction you talked about and, and stayed in that pain, but making that decision to go the other way, it's a hard one, but that's where you end up with so many beautiful things. So really are wonderful things that can come out of the ashes of pain. I'm not saying that we want them <laughs> at the time. You know, we don't wish the pain, but there really we are we wonderful things. We don't want things. them delivered, yeah, in that way. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely don't want them delivered in that way. <laughs> but, you know, I kind of say to myself now, if I'm in this situation, I might as well look for the blessings because I'm here. So this is the choice. I can look for the blessings or I can stay in the pain. Yeah, I love um, something my dear friend Karen Salmonson says. She said that when you look for the lesson and then you get the blessing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were saying, Christine, that you lived a, a spiritual life. And when you went through all of this pain, was everything that you practiced available to you right there? Or did you find yourself in all of that grief and and kind of stuck. You know, I can't say that I was ever stuck in grief. I felt like grief was um, something that was undeniable and that um, the only moments I felt like maybe I wasn't grieving enough was when my stomach would hurt and that would tell me that, oh, I need to cry more. I started making that correlation because I would get a really bad stomach ache and then I would cry really hard and the stomachache would go away and I would say oh there's my body teaching me how to grieve and saying rewarding me for doing it right and so I would just let myself be in the present moment but also let myself feel all the feelings of just you know everything you go through from feeling terrified at your future to incredibly angry and sad and just so sad and so longing for that person that you love, you know, longing to talk with them and laugh with them and brush your teeth and have toothpaste flopped all over your face with them. (laughs) Christine, what you're describing right now was really the biggest thing that I know I had to release. It was all those supposed to be's, you know, the way everything Mm -hmm. was supposed to be, the way you envision your life, you know, you envision that toothpaste there. It was supposed to be there. And until you could let go of that, it's really hard to move forward. Yeah. I mean, I I find that that is the, that is the key for all people is, is they're reconciling, you know, the loss of a dream, the loss of their future, the loss of how they thought it would be. And when you can finally stand at the edge of the moment of, of this moment and say, I don't see what my future is, but oh man, I'm so glad to be alive. Then you know you've healed. <laughs> yeah. Well, that goes back to when, when you and I first spoke today. I remember saying to you, wow, you've had such a monumental year. And if you look back, at all that you've gone through, would you have ever believed that you're where you are right now? Did you see this for yourself? You know, I, I just, I didn't know what my future was. I really didn't. I mean, I had cues. Um, I had sort of hints along the way that that um, this was going to be my future. I mean, immediately after Richard died, um, people started asking me to speak. And I was really asked to you know, take over the brand. I was asked to, you know, do um, lots of responsibilities for Richard. And while I wasn't really that capable the first two years, um, I I did kind of see that this was probably where I was headed, but I didn't know how it was going to come about. And and I just, I really just started um, writing from my heart and, and just speaking from my heart. I didn't, I didn't really plan anything. I never planned to write a book. I was asked to write a book, so I did. And and then I wrote another book because I felt like that was somehow going to complete me in the whole grief world, but it really didn't. <laughs> I, I think what once you've entered into this path, um, it's your dharma. You know, you yeah. become this servant of God and the servant of the divine, and, and it, it becomes your... Dharma to actually help other people out of their um, suffering. And I know 
one of the things that people come to me for, which I never charge for, is initial, you know, conversation about how to grieve. And when I talk with anybody, I, I, you know, really my initial thing is just to try and connect them um, to their spirituality and to spirit and to give them a few sort of, you know, pointers on how to do this life with grief. And, um, and then they're on their own. And I think people grieve naturally if they just allow grief to come. If you suppress it, then it's going to have its day. Just talk to a young woman who I'm very close to. Um, her mother was um, one of my dearest, closest friends from my whole life. I knew her since I was 14 years old. Somebody I just looked up to and admired, a beautiful, gorgeous, graceful, wise woman um, my age, one year older, and she died of cancer last year. And her daughter is my goddaughter. And I just, I was so surprised I hadn't heard from her. And finally, yesterday was the first anniversary. And I, I was on a call with somebody and I saw her name on my phone and I said, I'm sorry, I have to go. And I picked up the phone and she was gasping for air. And I said, oh, my God, I've been waiting for this call. And I knew that she just, you know, she just hadn't, she couldn't do it yet. Like it wasn't, it's not as if she wasn't grieving, but she hadn't had those, that deep primal, I can't live without her moment yet. And um, and, and she had it yesterday. And I'm, I'm hoping that's the beginning of a real opening for her to allow her grief to come if she if you can come out of one very very horrible wave like that and the fact that she actually did pick up the phone and call for help was a really good sign and you can you can learn to come out of every wave like that and i think that's the fear that people have is they're gonna drown in their own grief which when you lose somebody that you love that much definitely feels that way sometimes Christine, what do you say to someone who's navigating grief? But it's been some time now. You know, you just shared a story that's a year out from the loss. I look at my life. I'm 12 years out now from my mom, sister, and husband, all of that loss. And, you know, some days I'm fine, you know, more often than not now. But I can be walking down a supermarket aisle and see a box of cereal and start to cry. (laughs) So what do you say to someone when they say something like, I should be better now. Well, I mean, honestly, Joan, I think that as a culture, we've done a really poor job of of making it safe for people to grieve. You know, I think as a culture, we've told people that initially those that first time period, you busy yourself out of it and you just try not to think about it and you shove it aside. And I really feel like grief is something we have to own. And I, the way I talk about it is that grief isn't the enemy. A lot of people in the grief world really hate grieving. I mean, they really do. I have many friends in the grief world, and they're just, they just hate grief. And I always say, well, you know what? Grief is actually a friend. Grief has come to heal you. And that's the way if you embrace grief in that way that this is a temporary situation, that this is um, these emotional responses that you're having are not depression. These are responses that you're having because you're grieving because you loved, because you loved deeply and you're attached and you have to find your way, um, find your way to that spirit that is, you know, was a person that you knew that is now a, a spirit so that you can feel the sense of them and that continued relationship. Um, this is incredibly helpful for people, and, and it, it's hard for people who aren't open to it. They're the, the hardest people. Um, they go through the worst because they're not open to really understanding that their person is not a human anymore, but they're still a spirit. They're still, they're still the essence of who they are is, will exist for eternity. And it's up to you as, as the human being to invite their spirit to be with you and, and to acknowledge the the signs that they give you and just the warmth and the love that's present when they're present and you're present to it. You had said that you always offer some grief tips to help people navigate a loss. If you could kind of sum it up and and give your best advice right now, what would that be? Well, the first thing I would say, and I always say is that you know, life is different now. Um, it's not too unlike if you sat down at your doctor's office and they said, look, 
you have a, an illness and you're going to get over this illness, but you're not going to feel very good while you're going through it. And you're going to have to make space to take care of yourself. You're going to have to make space to bring a life around this illness, live your life with it, because that's essentially what grief is. Grief is not an illness. Grief is an emotional response to loss, but it is temporary and it has come and it is a part of your world and life now. And, you know, we're different after we've gone through loss than we were the day before. We're very different. And you probably never go back to your life living life the way you did. You're going to live life differently. And grief is going to teach you how to feel very deeply. Grief is going to teach you compassion, self-compassion, um, it's going to teach you a lot, but you have to make space for it. That's the first thing. You have to make space for it, and you have to take care of yourself with kid gloves. You really, really have to acknowledge what you're feeling when you're feeling it. And that means that maybe you have a dental appointment on Wednesday at 10 o'clock, and Wednesday at 9.30 comes, and you are in grief, and you're having a wave, and you call your dentist up and you say, I'm sorry, I cannot make my dental appointment at 10 o'clock because I'm grieving and I'm in grief right now. And, and, and that's the kind of thing that you have to make way for because you don't know when grief is going to hit you. Now, 12 years later um, is different than three months out, you know, right. like three months out, you, you might be in the grocery store and, and start crying and not be able to breathe. Right. And, 12 years later, you're going to be in the grocery store, and yes, you might start getting weepy, but it's a softer, gentler form of grief. And yeah. so initially, you just you have to really make space for grief, and you have to then you have to make space for allowing yourself um, those moments. And I was telling um, my goddaughter yesterday, I was saying, you know, you this is good what you're doing. I know it feels terrible, but this is good because every time you do this, you're like an, a faucet that's emptying out this grief from your body, from your soul, and you're cleansing and you're emptying. And then, you know, you're going to feel better. You may feel exhausted. You may feel, but you'll feel better. You'll feel peaceful. And this is something that may happen more often now that you've opened up the channel, you know, and it's an emptying process. You're emptying out so that you're carving out a place, an empty reservoir to fill it with more life. And that's essentially what's happening, I believe, in the grief process. We're letting go. We're letting go of our loved one in the human way, and we're making way for more life. And I love what Cahil Gibran says. There's this, my favorite quote of all time is that our greatest joy is our sorrow unmasked. So as you cry and scream and holler and shout and cry your tears and go through your sorrow, joy will come. You're carving out a place in your heart for more joy. And you're expanding your heart to more love and to more love and a better life. Yeah, that, that's such great advice, Christine, because so many people are afraid to feel those feelings and they try to stuff them and suppress them and they never really deal with them and, and they never them. carve out that space. Yeah, that's so true. And I, I just really believe that from my own path, you know, I, I know, I know and from leading many, many people through grief and their and they're suffering. I know that this is the way to health. This is the way back to joy. I just saw a widow that I helped um, years and years and years ago. Her husband um, was walking, or her husband was outside, and his dog got up on the train tracks that were behind their house. And he was, he saved his dog from being hit by the train, but he got hit himself. And, um, and she came to one of my um, grief, my women's grief circles. And I mean, she was a real, you know, understandably a real mess. And I just saw her yesterday. It's been many years. And she just full of radiant joy, full of joy, just, you know, just totally radiant joy. And I was just, I'm so, I'm always so happy when I see that because 
I know that people fully recover um, from horrible loss and from shocking loss. And the thing that they all do that is really powerful is they allow themselves the time, they allow themselves the time and space to grieve. And that's a great place to leave this conversation because when you are in grief, you don't see that type of future for yourself. You don't think you'll ever experience radiant joy. So if you would like to get a copy of Christine's book, Heartbroken Open, A True Story of Coming Alive Again After Profound Loss, you can visit christinecarlson.com. Christine, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the final word? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, I just like to say that sometimes our greatest Sorrow can move us forward in life so that our lives have greater meaning. And that again, you know, just to reiterate that loss is a part of this human experience, just like joy and all the great things that we get to experience are a part of it. And the more that you can embrace change, the more that you can embrace the things that you might want to change, the better you'll be and the less suffering that you'll have. And and just remember, you know, it's, it's a journey. It's a journey. It's a process of discovery. It's a process of healing. And I just want to thank you, Joan, for having me on and for sharing with you today. Thank you so much for being here. I, I look forward to you coming back on. I, I wish we had more time because there's so much that I would like to cover with you. So we will definitely get you back on the show. Thanks, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit cyacyl.com slash media training. That's cyacyl.com slash media training. This November 26th, kick off the holiday season at the Totowa and West Patterson Fire Department's spectacular Holiday Lights Parade. The parade begins at 6 p.m. on Union Boulevard in Totowa, New Jersey, and travels to McBride Avenue in Woodland Park. Fire departments from around the region will take part with beautifully decorated apparatus, and Santa will wrap up the parade to bring a smile to everyone's face. There will be special guests and lots of fun to make memories that last a lifetime. We hope to see you there. The trick is to enjoy life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones ahead. I recently stumbled upon this quote by Marjorie Pay Hinckley. Marjorie's words got me to thinking about my life and how I've rushed most of it away, not being fully present or savoring the joy of any moment. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones. When I was a teenager, I couldn't wait to grow up so I could drink or go to college or even get married. When my children were infants and toddlers, I muddled through most days in anticipation of the evening when they would go to sleep, and I thought about when they would be older and more self-sufficient. When I was the caregiver for my parents, I struggled through those years frazzled and exhausted. When I held job positions that were unfulfilling, I wished for the day that I would find employment that made me happy. Looking back, I can't recall one period in my life in which I wasn't looking ahead to something different or better. The sad thing is that it took tremendous loss to wake me up, 
the loss of my marriage, the deaths of my parents and siblings, my children growing up and moving on with their lives. Now, I strive to live in the present moment. All those quotes about leaving the past behind and not worrying about the future are so true. When you live in the past or try to anticipate the future, you miss the here and now. So what can you do? When you're dealing with a challenge, look for the positive and learn from the experience. If you're caring for a sick loved one, treasure every minute because I promise you one day you would give anything to nurse that person again. If your children are driving you crazy, remember that sooner than you'll like, they will be moving out and starting their own lives. All the seemingly insignificant moments, both good and bad, are as Paul Anka said, the times of your life. Enjoy them all. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. If we've learned anything over the past few years, it's the importance of maintaining a healthy mind and body. Today's guest, Dr. Jamie Pula, guides people to better physical and mental health. Dr. Pula believes that we need to educate people for awareness in a way that is so obvious they're motivated and commit. Through her company, Art of Health Sciences, Dr. Pula provides evidence-based lifestyle strategies to prevent and reverse disease. She is a registered dietitian nutritionist who holds a Master's of Science in Cardiac Rehabilitation and Exercise Science and a PhD in Health Sciences. Dr. Pula is the author of the book, Rise Above, a playbook on how to keep energy flowing. Welcome, Dr. Pula. Thank you so much for joining us. Great day, Joan. So, Doctor, one of the things that I mentioned in the introduction that we've really become mindful of is learning how to maintain a healthy mind and body. What do you believe are some of the biggest misconceptions people have about health? Oh, great question, Joan. As a clinical leader, I've observed I'd say five top health and wellness falsehoods from the people I've served throughout my career. The first one being losing weight is all about willpower. Food is a chemical or substance, and it can be misused like any other chemical or substances as a self-soothing or medicating practice. There's a wrong idea that losing weight is all about willpower. Like any addiction, overeating to the point that someone outwardly wears their addiction in the form of excess fat has less to do with willpower and everything to do with chemical dependency. The second misnomer is the all-or-nothing approach works best. We now know that small gradual baby steps towards any goal can make big strides in the long term. Think park the car farther, use the stairs instead of the elevator, fill half of your plate with fruits and vegetables. We don't have to do it all, we just have to do something. Then build on that something. The third falsehood uh, we've come across is one size fits all. And now we know one size does not fit all. The more you become in tune with your own body, mind, and spirit, you'll be able to figure out what works best for you. The fourth one is the illusion of what happiness really means. Many people still falsely believe in only if. It sounds like this. If only if, fill in the blank, I'll be happier. If only if I lost 20 pounds, I'd be happier. If only if I had a better paying job, I'd be happier. If only if I didn't have to deal with all the drama, I'd be happier. So what's a very human response to only if? Breaking news, even if there's a heightened self-awareness about this malpractice coupled with knowledge and the key enough motivation to start to take action, many of us still would not be happy after losing the 20 pounds, getting the better paying job, or never speaking to another easily excitable person. What's the reason for this? We can choose happiness right now. It comes down to asking yourself, am I focusing on the things that bring me joy? Last but not least, A mental health condition is a sign of weakness. Wrong. Some of the strongest people I've ever known, both personally and professionally, have struggled with an acute or chronic mental health condition at some point in their life. Mental health conditions are similar to other chronic health conditions, such as diabetes, heart disease, arthritis, and cancer, just to name a few. My work is around the notion that we are a sum of the mind, body, soul, and spirit, and that each of these areas connect and that we have to pay attention to them. And I think when we when we talk about our health, we often don't incorporate our mental health. And so I, I do love that you think that that's a major misconception. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, if I could just shout that on the top of the mountain, <laughs> that would be my mantra. In your book, 
you write about a seven-step recipe for spice. What are the seven steps, and can we go through each of these briefly? Sure. Yeah. In the Rise of a Playbook, I, I lead you through how to craft these unique dishes um, and what's a delicious dish without the spice. So the acronym actually stands for spirituality, peace, inner calm, and energy. So let's start with step one. I suggest that we all set our internal ovens to 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Now you have to remember I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist, <laughs> physiologist by trade, so it all comes down to the food. And we do this, you know, so you realize that you are in control of setting the tone and temperature, how warm, how hot, or cold. And this visual imagery prepares us uh, for the great works and rewards that we are about to undergo. The second step is applying any crushing event, and I suggest that you name this event. For me, my worst crushing event during the pandemic was having both my parents deathly ill from COVID. And the playbook I authored is a tribute to my father, who didn't make it out of the ICU and ultimately died from COVID pneumonia. And to my mother, who almost died from the same and had to depend on oxygen for the following six months as a new widow. I call my dish Rise Above. It's a pizza crust version paired with some fine red wine with an H. The third step is setting your healthy ingredients to the side before you mix them in. And for me, this is like all of my tricks of the trade, so to speak, or my tools in my toolbox. Worth mentioning, one of the healthiest ingredients I set to the side was my journaling entries, and that is actually how I I actually molded the, the playbook. The fourth step is to generously add intrinsic drivers and personal choices by leaning on spirituality to create a dish worth enjoying. I really have been as triumphant in keeping my energy flowing through my father's transition and my mom's sorrow if it weren't for my thankfulness, my faith, forgiveness, joy, and fellowship. The fifth step is sometimes the hardest for people, and that's to commit to the spice. I started to try new flavors and their different concoctions. I was in so much pain at one point, I started trying new things just so I could get away from the memories of my old traditions and old ways. So staying open and receptive to exploring adventure saved my soul. I just wanted to share that with everyone who who endures the playbook. Step six, you want to decorate with loved ones. I started making new bonds and supporting trusted systems to conquer my fears and receive peace and inner calm to keep my wholesome energy flowing. Then last but not least, step seven, you want to share your dishes through gratuitous connectivity. Like any favorite family recipe handed down from generation to generation, they're not meant to be our own. We need to pay forward and offer our wisdom to others. And that's the reason I wrote the playbook, not for my family or myself. I wrote the playbook for anyone who's ever felt in over their head, you know, just maybe even drowning. I wanted to provide that life support to show people how they might mend themselves for sound body, mind, and spirit. I can't even imagine what that must have been like for you, having both parents that were battling COVID. And and I'm so sorry for your loss, your father. And for someone who is going through a similar situation, whether it be with COVID or anything in their life, really, any type of trauma, what would be your best advice that you could offer? One nugget to help someone rise above whatever it is they're experiencing. Yeah, I again, I, I would just ask you to decide what you want to do and commit to it. Ask yourself, what's my first step going to be? You know, you start with the small stuff and then you move to the bigger stuff. But resist the trap to jump. Just take that one step at a time up that stairs of success. Like my dear husband Bobby reminds me, buildings are built brick by brick. So what's the big stuff? Get to know yourself, spiritual self, even better. Honor yourself with the core and soul. If you don't already learn how to love yourself, not just as a feeling, but love yourself as an action. You know, sometimes we don't feel the love, but we need to take the action. And then just practice. Keep practicing every day and watch how your your energy flows outwardly and freely. You see, success is measured by the joy you feel. And actually enjoy when all the dreams you've been dreaming about finally do come true. Joan, may I leave you with one of my favorite quotes from Walt Disney? Absolutely. All of your dreams can come true if you have the courage to pursue them. My hope is that everybody has the courage to pursue what they're dreaming about, right? Well, and that's been my experience in life. I I mean, I started doing this work after tremendous trauma. And when we're experiencing the type of challenges that I did and, and the challenges that you did, 
one of our initial reactions is to isolate, is to lock ourselves away and, and remove ourselves from society. But is that a wise move for us to do or can it actually be harmful? There's a time and place for everything. Solace, you know, and being silent sometimes is um, a need. And there are individual variations. But, you know, we're all connected together. And we're we're human beings and social creatures. And so we do need each other. Um, and so I would hope that even when you're feeling like you're alone, you realize you're not alone and and you you find a trusted, supported friend or somebody in your community or a, a healthcare professional that can help you get through that. And, and I also found that living in a state of gratitude, counting my blessings, that was really a, a game changer for me. Did that help you on your journey as well? Yeah, it, it absolutely did. Um, I'll begin by saying there's always something more to be thankful for. Mm-hmm. Um it reminded me of when I was growing up, my father and I, we'd see a young man with special needs walking around, and my father would drive by him most days of the week. We'd be running errands, you know, like to and from work, school, swimming, sports, whatever's going on. And my father would always take notice and make a mention of how happy the young man looked. He just exuded joy. He'd always be smiling. Every time we passed him, he'd be waving, you know, he He'd always be grateful. He'd be grateful for the sunny weather. He'd be grateful for the rainy and cold weather. He was just grateful for the feet that carried him. And he was thankful to just meet a friend along the way. So, you know, I'd say practicing gratitude more for the quality, you know, of of the way it makes you feel. I'd highly recommend and encourage my friends. And so, you know, as the saying goes, let your cups run over, right? So, Dr. Polo, what advice can you offer to help us get started on the path to better health? Yeah, well, make time for your health is my mantra. We only have 24 hours in one day, and regardless of how much formal training and lived experience anyone has, we all must make a conscious decision to get and remain aware of how much health investments we are making for ourselves by how we choose to spend those 24 hours. Most people either don't have a game plan on how to practice time management related to their health and wellness needs, or they choose to spend their time being hyper-focused on one or two health areas or on other things while neglecting the need for recalibration. And that can vary on what's inevitably going on in our lives. You know, maybe there's a deadline at work, holidays, and other special occasions happen. Remember, we cannot control anything, but we do have choices. My hope is we all choose to find the right fit for ourselves at any given moment. The book is... Rise Above, a playbook on how to keep energy flowing. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Pula and her work, you can visit artofhealthsciences.com. Dr. Pula, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Did you know that athlete's foot can spread to other parts of the skin, including hands, groin, and scalp? Hi, I am Dr. Anand Joshi, dietarist practicing in Woodland Park, New Jersey at Advanced Foot Care of NJ LLC. Athlete's foot is a fungal infection of the skin, including between the toes. The fungus tends to thrive in warm, damp areas and can cause itching, cracking, blistering, and peeling of the feet. It's important to keep your feet clean and dry. Antifungal treatments in the form of sprays, powders, or lotions to apply to your feet are available in most drugstores. If the fungus is spreading or worsening after treatment, a person should see their doctor who can prescribe oral antifungal medications for the condition. If you'd like more information or to schedule an appointment, please visit our website, footpainnj.com. Self-confidence stemming from a belief in your worth and your abilities is a prerequisite to achievement. Your current view of yourself is the result of prior unconscious conditioning. Your future view of yourself can be the result of positive conditioning you consciously design. Affirmations are a powerful tool you can utilize to enhance your self-confidence and positive thinking. Your future success will be determined mainly by what you permit to enter and remain in your mind. Enhance your capabilities to achieve your goals by intentionally feeding your mind positive statements describing the person you want to be or become. Affirmations should describe which qualities, achievements, behaviors, or circumstances you want to possess. 
You can create your own affirmations or adopt them from quotations, scripture, family sayings, or other positive sources. If you use borrowed affirmations, make sure they align with your purpose and values. Affirmations should always be personal and a reflection of your goals. Here are six key points of what affirmations need in order to be effective. One, positive. Two, stated in the first person or present tense. Three, in the realm of your belief. Four, something you want to become rather than something you currently are. Five, related to your goals. And six, specific to you. If you'd like to learn more, contact me, Bertha Robinson at 732-705-5060 or visit staronprofessional.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit cyacyl.com slash media training. That's cyacyl.com slash media training. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining us today is Linda Mitchell, a board-certified professional and executive coach, speaker, workshop leader, and reinvention expert. She's the founder of Linda Mitchell Coaching and Healing. Linda is here today to discuss using the power of the subconscious brain. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Joan. Linda, this is one of my most favorite conversations to have because I am fascinated by the way our brains work. We spend most of our time living from our subconscious programming. And Dr. Lipton has said that this programming is written by the time we're seven years old, and it's not usually our own programming. So where do these programs come from? You know, that's so key to know where they come from and to recognize that. So many of these patterns and these programs are developed at a very young age, perhaps with an interaction you had with someone or a situation you were in where you made a decision right then and there as a very young child, this is difficult or, oh, I'm not good enough, right? And then we begin to carry this through our lifetime. Even if it's no longer true, it's a belief that we've instilled. And that makes it difficult to do the things we want to do when we're carrying around these subconscious brain beliefs, these limiting beliefs. I, too, am a brain nerd. I love studying the brain. I've been studying the brain for decades. It's fascinating. And the more we learn, the more we know we don't know. But what we learn now means that we can change things for our present day moment for the better. Absolutely. Because, you know, you can see how this is operating in your own life, because we live on autopilot, we're operating from the way we're programmed. And and you get in an argument with someone and you have that immediate response. That's the subconscious programming. So if this is what we're used to doing, we're on autopilot, what happens when we keep repeating this programming over and over again? Well, if you keep repeating it over and over again, you're going to get the same results, right? So the key is to Learn to use your subconscious brain to help you create what you want. I call our subconscious brain our magnificent manifesting machine. Why? Because it is a huge part of achieving any goal or outcome. What we really need to recognize is that our subconscious mind can only receive and act on the thoughts and commands that we give it. It doesn't edit or evaluate like, oh, that's a good one or, oh, that's a silly one. No. That's not its job. So our subconscious has really no choice but to act on the commands we give it. So we need to figure out when the old patterns come up again, we have to go, oh, no, thanks, but no thanks. You're on break. Here are my new empowering thoughts. So what we need to do 
is give it new commands, right? New commands that are going to help us achieve our goals. I'm going to give you an example. So we have to realize that we can't just ask for what we want, right? Because asking implies you may get it or you may not. But if you, for example, you mix up all the ingredients for a cake and you put it in a hot oven, do you stand in front of the hot oven and go, hmm, I may or may not get a cake? No, you're fully committed. You know, right? So we have to give our brain that same commitment and that same command. Be fully committed to what you want and be in a place of expectation and belief that you're going to get it because the subconscious brain will continually create a match to the vibration that you're putting out there. And it's really learning to spend less time in the subconscious and shifting it to being more conscious and mindful. Doctors Deepak Chopra and Rudy Tanzi wrote a wonderful book a few years ago called Super Brain. And in it, they teach us mm. how to learn to use our brain instead of our brain using us. And, and like you're saying, it, it's learning how to make those shifts to being mindful and conscious and present. Exactly. Because the brain is compelled to deliver a perfect vibrational match to what we ask it to do. Reality always matches what you think about and focus on most of the time. And I know you've heard me say this probably hundreds of times, but it's so true. What we think about comes about what we focus on expands. So be sure you're focusing on what you want to create and not the problem that you're in the middle of. And I think that's a great place to leave this, to focus on the things you want to create. If you would like to learn more about Linda and her work, you can visit lindamitchellcoachingandhealing.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to be here. Thanks. joining us, I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.